Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. It was a beautiful day for the spring game on Saturday in the Big House. Nearly 60,000 fans were there, and we saw an entertaining game that featured a lot of new faces. On our game day segment this week, we'll be joined by beat writer Nick Baumgartner from M Live, who will share his thoughts on Saturday's game and much more. And we'll get things rolling with a few news and notes before we get to Nick. First, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Skills. Skills lets you play the mobile games you love and win real cash prizes. Check out the bowling game because it is very addictive and the pool game a lot of fun. All Skills games are free to play with the option of competing for cash and prizes. That's right, you can win real money playing games on your iOS or Android device. Mike C. and Alex H. both won over $100,000 playing strike bowling on their phone. In fact, Skills has awarded over $70 million in prizes since 2014. You can win up to $150 in a single tournament with entry fees as low as a penny. Skills has a variety of games, including puzzles, bubble bursting, bowling, pool, solitaire, trivia, and much more. Join over 50,000 users that have won over $100 or more. Download your favorite game at skills.com Michigan and start winning cash playing games on your phone or tablet. And when you make a deposit, use the promo code Michigan for an extra $10. That's skills.com skills with a z on news and notes today you can't draw too many conclusions from a spring game that said it was fun to see all of the new faces on the field this past saturday brandon peters looked very good Uh, wilton struggled the offensive line was better than i expected it might be our highly touted five-star receivers flashed some promise as did a slot walk-on from plymouth we might not have a running back who is a 20 carry per game kind of a guy But right now, we do have four very capable backs that all bring different talents to the table. Don Brown wasn't giddy after the game, but he is more than comfortable, it seems, with the talent he has to work with on the defensive side of the ball. Rashawn Gary said after the game, he expects this defense could be as good as last year's or even better, and I'm glad to hear him say that. He's only a sophomore, though, and he is one of those young guys that needs to be a leader on this very young unit. At the end of the game, I felt pretty good about what I saw. I don't know what will happen, of course, none of us do when we tee it up for real in September. But I liked that we have an abundance of hungry young talent on both sides of the ball and a coaching staff that knows how to teach and develop that talent. It's going to be a fun season as we watch this team being molded and developed by this very outstanding staff. Even Nick Baumgartner was surprised by some of the things we saw on Saturday, most notably the offensive line play, which he expected could be a disaster, but it wasn't. The mishmash offensive lines opened up some big holes in the running game, but did struggle in pass blocking, which you do expect at this time of the year. He joins me next on our game day segment for an extensive review of Saturday's game here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. (laughs) 
joining us on our game day segment this week as we wrap up uh, the spring game. Still practices remaining in Rome, as we know. With us is Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from MLive. Great to have you back on the show, Nick. Good to be with you, Mike. Well, it was uh, sort of strange to have the spring game take place, and then, of course, we have practices remaining. Those are in Rome. But I thought all in all, Nick, uh, an interesting day and a pretty good turnout considering it was Easter weekend. Oh, yeah, great turnout. I think it was 57... 57,000 and change, um, which uh, will go down in the books as a shade under the previous record of 60. Uh, although, you know, that first, <laughs> I think that first record of 60 was guessed. That was the first year uh, of Harbaugh. But this one looks pretty close to me. It looked like right up there with one of the best I've ever had. So uh, terrific, day, terrific turnout uh, for, for a game. The only thing I was surprised at is uh, how that place emptied out in the second half of the game, though. I think it was too nice for that exact <laughs> reason because it got... You know, everybody sat there for an hour or whatever it was and then said, you know what, it's really nice out, still a lot of daylight left, let's go do something else. So, yeah, you know, hey, they can't complain about that, though. That's still a lot of people that showed up and, uh, and took in some football. Well, as we say every year after the spring game, really tough to, uh, to get a takeaway, form opinions after watching what are a few hours of a controlled atmosphere. But let's take a shot at it. If anything piqued fans' interest, it was the performance of young Brandon Peters. And as you said Sunday in M Live, he looked pretty good, didn't he, Nick? He did, yeah. I thought he was, uh, you know, for for Saturday afternoon, uh, one one practice out of fifteen there, and that's the only one we've seen. He was the best quarterback on the field. He, you know, I don't know, I don't know if it does any good for anybody to say anything different because he was. I mean, he was he was accurate. Uh, you know, he put on the full display with his arm, uh, which is, you know, as we know, it's a big arm with, with accuracy. Uh, you know, he made all sorts of different throws. You know, he was able to heat it up when he needed to heat it up, take some, take some books, you know, something off of a couple when he needed to do that. Um, wasn't perfect, of course, did make some mistakes, but, you know, certainly played winning football, so to speak. Uh, I thought he was also benefited by playing behind a better line mm-hmm. uh, for most of the day. But, you know, still, you know, you, you try to look at it from all sides. But, yeah, Brandon Peters was, was the best quarterback on the field. Uh, doesn't always mean everything, of course. It's just one day, and we haven't seen every day in spring. Um, you know, but Brandon is going to have a chance, uh, like everyone on the team, he'll have a chance to to win a job. And I, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of people tell me that they think that's just lip service, and they think that's just something people say. And I, my counter to that is, you know, how many times has has Jim Harbaugh talked about competition with just lip service? I mean, how many times have you seen guys that you did not expect to win jobs? Win jobs. Wilton Spate was one of them. Everyone, if I last year, Mike, if we were lying back and you know if we talked last April, I'll bet you we talked a lot about John O'Corn and not mm-hmm. Wilton Spate, and then it turned out being the other way around. So, I think Brandon Peters will have a shot to win the job, a fair chance, a fair competition, whatever it is. Now he's got a lot of work to do to do it though, because Wilton Spate, you know, while he may have had one bad day, still has a full year of starting under his belt and everything else and experience. So, um, but that's how it should be. And, you know, Will Display said it after the spring game himself. You know, it should be a competition. I mean, you look forward to it. It pushes everybody, makes everybody better. Uh, those two have a really good relationship, and they push each other. And, uh, you know, from here it'll be game on. And I think that that's, that's good for all involved, and that's exactly what Harbaugh wants. Yeah, it was our first extended look at Brandon Peters, and as you said, uh, I think he benefited from having a better offensive line. Wilton had his struggles, uh, but to be fair, I think most of his struggles came in the form of Devin Bush Jr., who seemed to be just living in the backfield uh, chasing Wilton. Yeah, there was a lot of early in that game, especially uh, Kelly Cuts and Devin Bush uh, in the blitz game, both were able to get get through there with some free rushes. Bush uh, was able to run over some fullbacks. 
Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it was impressive. Their closing speed, their ability to get to the quarterback, and their ability to finish sacks, that was, of course, impressive. Um, and we knew they'd be active. At the same time, though, I, you know, they shuffled those lines so much early on. And, and, and the one thing that, you know, I, and I will say this, I thought the offensive line blocked well on the ground in the run game, uh, better than I thought it would. But the pass protection, uh, especially when you're shuffling, uh, was a problem. Uh, especially when you're moving around so much, it, that was an issue. But, yeah, you got, you got to give Devin Bush and, and Hudson credit, uh, you know, for, for getting into the backfield and making things happen and, you know, getting through fullbacks or getting through the last line and closing out. So a lot of speed there. But, again, you know, still I'd like, to, you know, I'd like to see more. I'll see them practice in Rome three times, Mike, for, you know, for the full four hours uh, and what will be, you know, serious, good-on-good good practices. Yeah. And I'd really like to still see from Devin Bush um, the ability to stand in against a heavy package, take on power, uh, hang in there in the middle because he's still, you know, he's still only about 230 pounds. So uh, I still want to see that from him. I know he can run. I know he can get sideline to sideline. I know he can be a factor in the blitzing, the blitzing game. But I'd, I'd still like to see how he holds up, you know, against maybe a fullback or maybe a big guard or something like that. Well, you mentioned uh, in one of your pieces uh, in uh, post-game coverage, Nick, about the offensive line having, you know, not really expectations or knowing what to expect uh, from right. them. And they weren't too bad. It's all uh, mixed up on both sides. You have players uh, are broken up, I should say. But was there anyone in particular when you were watching that offensive line that maybe stood out to you? I guess, first off, I expected that to be a disaster for them Saturday. I really did. It had only been two and a half weeks of practice there had been injuries uh, some guys have been dinged up you saw Bushel Beatty did not play uh, so they've got, they've worked through, through through some health things here and there and it's been so new and so different I expected them to just get lit up all day and they didn't I mean you know they, they had their issues in pass pro for sure but they cracked some run holes uh, for Ty Isaac and Higdon and and a couple other guys that I did not see coming and, and I was impressed I, I thought I think they're farther ahead and that's a good thing for them. They're, they're further ahead right now than I thought they would be by a good by a good bit. And I think that they've probably found at least four guys that they know they've got in Mason Cole as a left tackle, Bredesen as a left guard, Kugler looked looked adequate or capable or whatever you want to call it at center. And he's obviously and I thought he looked better than than Ruiz, who is a true freshman. Um, and then Michael and Wayne, you look like you look like you know a college football player. They're over there at right guard. So you've got four who, you know, when they were on the field, things were happening. Bodies were moving, uh, holes were being opened, and it wasn't a jailbreak on that left side or up the middle. So, you know, I think that that those four guys right there is a good starting point. And you got to find a right tackle. Maybe that's Bushel Beatty. Um, John Runyon had some good moments, and he had some bad moments. And in the run game, he was really good. Pass pro, really bad. And I think that if Bush and Beatty were in there, I think it may have been something similar to that. Uh, so right tackle, I think that fifth spot is still the one you've got to kind of hammer down. And, you know, maybe you bring in, you know, Chuck Filiaga in the summer, and maybe he's off the charts and you give it a shot. But at the same time, you got to remember that, that that's a true freshman. Yeah. And same thing with Cesar Ruiz. Now, he's an impressive physical talent for a first-year player. But at the same time, I saw him get crossed up a number of times and look like a freshman and, and, you know, give up a sack because of it. And that sort of stuff can't happen. So you go with the five best guys you got. I think right now, you know, who, you know, who four of them are, but you still have to kind of work out some kinks and, and find that fifth, but uh, further along way, I can't stress that enough, like way further along than I ever thought they would be. Um, so I was wrong on that. I did not, I did not think that would be 
I thought we I thought we'd watch a three nothing spring game. I didn't think they'd be able to score on either side because I thought it'd be a real problem. But uh, credit to Greg Fry and Tim Drebin and all those guys because I think they're all obviously working hard and doing different stuff and switching around and you know yeah I think it's uh, I think it's improving. Well, Saturday was our first look at the receiving core and Tariq Black and Donovan Peoples Jones and we know they're not polished but. They looked pretty good, gave us some good signs, I thought, Nick. Yeah, I think the most important thing I took away from that is usually this the staple in a spring game is the is the drop pass, uh, the screwed up route, you know, the just the just overall miscommunication, especially if it was only two and a half weeks in. You know, those are kind of things you kind of expect. And we didn't see that, you know. I mean those guys especially for most freshmen, I mean the routes were on time. They need they were they were they were, they were where they needed to be. Uh when it was within reason they caught they caught the football you know so i think that they you know they looked ready to contribute Uh, you know again i can't say that they looked ready to start or ready to put up 50 catches or anything like that but you know they looked ready to be guys that are going to be in the mix and i think that's what you wanted i mean you you brought them both in here early um you wanted them to get extra work with with the quarterbacks they have done that they'll continue to do that that'll only get better that timing and everything else but they look like you know, they looked apart. The routes were good. Uh, they were getting off the, you know, they're getting off the line of scrimmage fine. And that's one thing I wanted to see from Peoples Jones because, you know, you, if you watch Donovan's high school tape, it was he was such an athletic, a superior player athletically. All he all he ever did as a senior was basically just live off of, you know, go routes. I mean, it was just I'm going to run faster than everybody on the team and just lob it up and let me go get it. And I think that there was still some times where it was like I need to see him, you know, get in and out of breaks against the college defensive back. And he looked good, so so that was good. I think Black obviously was was a guy who had a reputation of a guy who could handle all those types of things coming in. So you got two advanced freshmen uh, who I think will be ready to be, you know, contributors for you on so on what level that remains to be seen. But but guys who will be able to play it seems uh, as first year players and, and probably quite a bit for you, which which you're going to need. Yeah, I thought they looked good, but another kid that sort of surprised me, and I had never heard anything about him, is uh, this walk-on receiver from Plymouth, and I can't even think of his name right now. But Nate, that, Shane, Nate Shanley. Yeah, he's yeah. got a pair of good hands, doesn't he? He does. He caught one where he kind of climbed the ladder and hung on to one. He caught two two tough passes, actually. Uh, and they've really liked him this spring. I think that uh, he's got a chance uh, to get in there and, and do some things. You know, Grant Perry's situation is not resolved uh, in the in the courtroom in Lansing, and he is not practicing with the team. He hasn't practiced all spring. I don't know if or, if or when he'll be back. So you're looking at a situation where you have an opportunity uh, for someone in the slot to do something. And I think that you know Eddie McDoom is still going to practice there a lot, and but Eddie is also going to work outside. And I think that's opened up the door a bit for young Nate Shanley, who's uh, you know a local kid who's who showed. An ability, at least in the spring game, to find openings down the field, uh, and the most important thing is catch the thing when it comes to you. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the that's the thing everybody seems to take for granted anymore. <laughs> Just can you catch? And you know, how did you know? If we remember back, how did Grant Perry ever get on the field? Well, he caught everything, and so here we go. I mean, Nate Shanley makes two really difficult catches in traffic, uh, one forty yarder to set up the game-winning field goal for his team. So I got to think he's looking up, and I got to think that he's probably getting more and more reps you know, with the ones or twos uh, as time goes on here, and a guy that they're really going to take a look at and see if he can help them. Yeah, he just impressed me. So that was a that was a nice surprise yep. in the spring game. And you just mentioned Grant Perry. We know he didn't practice with the team this spring. And yeah, I think I read last week his trial might be pushed into the summer. So uh, his right. future really is uncertain, isn't it? Yeah, all up in the air. 
Uh, I don't know the details that were worked out between he and, and Harbaugh. Harbaugh has not specified any of that, uh, of course. Uh, you know, he was suspended indefinitely in December, and the legal matter has not been resolved since then, of course. So uh, they don't know for sure if that'll go to trial, but if it does go to trial, yeah, it could be through August. It could happen in August, which means you're missing fall camp, which means you already missed all of spring, uh, even if you're allowed back anyway. So, you know, right now, uh, I don't know how you pencil him onto this team anywhere right now because he's not on the team for all intents and purposes. I mean, maybe he's part of the program on some level in that he's not, Maybe he's not kicked off the team, but he's not practicing. He's not working with them. So um, tough to predict anything for him. So you got to look around. That's where you see a guy like Chainley uh, or maybe maybe another young guy who's able to slip in there and get some more time. And, uh, and again, it's competition, right? So it's, it's all ground he's losing. So if he does come back in the fall, of course, he's got more time under his belt, but now he's going to have to fend off other people. And I think that that's important to remember, too. It's like you know, if he doesn't just come back and walk right into a job, he comes back and has to re-earn it. So, um, so it's important for them to look at other players. And, and like you say, Mike, it was important for them to see that a guy like Shanley, a guy they didn't know much about probably going in the spring, is, is able to go out there and compete a little bit. Well, one of the receivers that just can't seem to catch a break, hasn't been able to uh, since he came here, is Drake Harris. And he sat out the game on Saturday. Not mm-hmm. much said about it. Have you heard anything about what's going on with him? The Arbaugh did not talk to us. Uh, they did not give any reasons why anyone sat out. Uh, we were kind of let to believe most of those guys who did sit out were sitting out uh, for minor injuries of some sort. Uh, nothing major. I don't think anything was uh, anything was season-ending or going to be out for a long, long period of time. And you know, Drake was on the field in street clothes. Uh, he didn't have a cast or anything else on. So I don't know. I mean, it may have, it may have been another muscle pull of some kind or whatever it is. But, yeah, I, you know, again, and I don't know how long he's missed, but I do know this. That he's a fourth-year player, and it is literally now or never for Drake Harris. I mean, it is, he, you know, every practice he miss, misses is losing ground, and be, and it makes things more and more likely that maybe you never see him play real time here because Kakoa Crawford and Andy McDoom already finished last season ahead of him on the depth chart. Eric Black and uh, Peoples Jones both got a ton of time there in in the spring game. Maurice Ways was able to compete in the spring game. Nate Shanley was able to compete. You've got Three more freshmen coming in in the fall, uh, and and he's and if he's still hurt, then he can't go. Then you know maybe this is the last go around for him here because it, you know as we know the fourth or the, the fifth year isn't always earned, and if he can't stay healthy, then it is what it is. But uh, it's a weird, a weird year, career for him, and there's still some time, but but it is it is now or never now. I mean he's got to do it now or. Or, or that'll be it. Well, the tight end position, of course, big hole uh, with Jake Butt going to uh, the NFL. Plenty mm-hmm. of candidates, though. Uh, do you think Tyrone Wheatley Jr. is leading the pack right now? Yeah, I think he's still the best. Well, Asiasi is the tough loss there. I mean, Devin Asiasi would have been your best two-way tight end in terms of blocking and catching. Uh, but, you know, Bunting did not play either. And again, we were not given any reason why. Uh, so if Bunting is good to go, I would think Bunting and Wheatley would be your top two, uh, both because both have played a bunch. Uh, Wheatley's a natural blocker. Bunting's gotten a lot better as a blocker as time has gone on. So those would be the guys right now I think that would lead the way. But, you know, the one guy who may be coming up behind them a little bit is Nick Eubanks, uh, who would be a redshirt freshman who has gained weight, uh, who's gotten a lot bigger, a guy who was kind of a skinny, long, skinny tight end when he came in, a kid from Florida who was more of a pass catcher only in high school, uh, sort of like Bunting, I guess. Bunting was that way 
in high school too. So he's gained his weight, added some bulk to his frame, uh, ran some nice routes in the spring game, had a couple catches, uh, looked, you know, looked like a guy who they've been taking a long, hard look at. And then the other one in, in kind of the same boat there would be Sean McKeon, who's a, I've always thought as a real smooth looking tight end, who I think will have a nice future here. But both those guys, again, it's, if they're going to catch Wheatley and or bunting, it would be, you know, the blocking part, you know, they've got to be able to hold, do their part on the line in the run game. And if they're asked to do any pass pro, they've got to be able to hold water there too. You know, we know they can get out and catch the ball, but you know, can you be a two way tight end? Uh, you know, and that's, that's usually the last step for everybody. So I would say Wheatley bunting and then, and then Eubanks and McKeon look like the guys who are, right there in the mix, trying to get in there and make something happen. Well, a lot of fans worry about the running back position. Everyone wants, um, you know, the, the guy that can break it. And, but I thought we saw good things from Karan Higdon. I've always liked Karan Higdon. Uh, a bigger mm-hmm. Chris Evans. Uh, and Ty Isaac had some really nice runs. So uh, right there, I thought we had three solid performances that have us in pretty good shape at that position. Yeah, I think that's the most that's the most dependable position on offense right now. I mean, it's just it's the deepest you have. It's the... You know, all of those guys have done big things at one point or another. You know, they've all scored. They've all had chunk plays in big games and, and so on and so forth. So between Evans, Higdon, and Isaac, uh, that is a really good trio that, you know, Michigan, you know, most teams in the Big Ten would be envious of that. I mean, let's just let's put it that way. I mean, a lot of people I know, they fixate, they fixate on this. It's got to be one guy who is like Adrian Peterson or whatever. You know, so you know that'd be great. You know, that'd be great, of course. You know, everyone wants that. But the next best thing, I think, would be to have three really good football players who can kind of rotate through. If one guy gets hot, one guy sticks in there and makes things happen, and one guy will ultimately separate on some level. But you still have three guys to keep everybody fresh, three guys who like each other, like to compete, uh, understand the situation, and no one's going to complain or whine or cry if they're not getting as many touches as they think. So I think it's a good three-headed position group there. And that's one where you do return production. I think that's, I think between those three, it's like 1,500 yards and 14 touchdowns from last season. So that's, that's I mean, put that all together for one guy, that's pretty good. So I think that uh, overall, you know what you have there, and uh, they've got to be feeling pretty good about that going forward. Well, and let's throw Kareem Walker into that mix. He sure. got his yeah. fair share of carries. We heard during bowl prep that he was turning heads uh, because it was really the first extended uh, practice time he'd had since he arrived. Uh, but from what you've heard, has he made any kind of an impression or a move up the ladder this spring, Nick? Yeah, I think the, the, the main thing to, to note there is there's room for a fourth. And, you know, I think that they've all said, especially starting at the end of last year in bowl practice, that Kareem Walker had started to figure it out a little bit. Uh, he obviously took care of his grades much better um, in that last semester. I assume that's carried forward for him. And right now it's 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 the ins and outs of understanding the playbook and, and all the little things. I mean, you saw a couple tough runs from him the other day. Uh, so he has some talent there. And, you know, Chris Evans said it earlier in the spring that the biggest thing that he's working on Kareem with right now is, you know, Kareem, it's important to remember, didn't just sit out games last season. He didn't practice with the team until probably midway through. So he missed a lot of practice time. And the big thing for him right now is still, and it started again toward the end of the year, but it's still carrying over his, is remembering that, you know, as Evans put it, you know, this isn't high school. All these guys come in, these backs come in as freshmen, and they think it's just going to be like high school where they can kind of improvise and, you know, beat everybody with their speed or, or do whatever. And it's more important to run a system. You know, I think a great example of that, you saw Walker in the spring game Saturday. There was one carry where I think it may, may have been called back for illegal formation or something. 
but he ran the hole. He made one cut. Uh, he put his shoulder down. He got in the end zone. It was called back. So he, he runs the play, he does his job, uh, and it works. He got, he got called back. The next play, he tries to make two, two cuts that don't make any sense. All of a sudden, now he's turning backwards. He's getting tackled for it's like a seven-yard loss. So, I mean, the, the first part was exactly what you want, and the second part has to go away. And as he continues forward, I think that, you know, he'll morph t- more towards him, the guy who, you know, run the system, run the scheme, run the hole or the area you're supposed to make the right cut and let everything else take care of itself. Stop trying to do everything on your own, as, as is a normal problem for freshmen. And when that goes away, uh, everything, will, everything will be fine. Well, for whoever lines up at that running back position, it's going to be nice to have Khalid Hill in front of them. Uh, he's yep. lost a few pounds, made a couple of real nice catches out of the backfield. We forget he has great hands, was a tight end. He is really a, a weapon in several phases of that offensive game, isn't he, Nick? Yeah, I really like him. And I think that I was thinking about the other day, Khalid, everybody fixes, fixates on the quarterbacks with Jim Harbaugh. And of course, that's fine. Uh, and I understand that. But Khalid Hill, to me, is is really really the symbol of, of Harbaugh being a good football coach. Uh, because if you think about this, if it was a different staff, Khalid Hill would be buried on the tight end chart. We wouldn't hear about him. Uh, he'd be too short to play. He'd be too short and too slow to play tight end. Uh, and maybe he'd come in on goal line packages and block for somebody. But, I mean, they were able to find a football player in there, find a role for him. And now I think you have a guy in the backfield that can pass protect. Uh, he can catch. Uh, and he can put his shoulder down and run if he has to in short yardage. He's a three-way threat for you who can line up in different spots and really be a weapon. I mean, I think I wouldn't be shocked to see Khalid Hill have really good catch numbers this year. I mean, he, he had really good catch numbers last year, like 14 catches. I wouldn't be shocked to see him, to see his stats. You know, at the end of the year, you look at that stat line, and you're really impressed. I think he's a guy that, that has an NFL-type future as one of these H-back, fullback, whatever, you know, multi-use, heavy weapon type guys. I think that he has so many different skills that, that most guys can't match. And, and I think you'll see that you'll see that really come out this year is I think that they maybe even dial things up for him more um, than they did, they did a year ago. So a really special talent for them and a, just a great find and a great adjustment, you know, by Jim Harbaugh and a great lesson, I think for a lot of younger players, um, you know, when you come into, come into college out of high school and you have your position and you assume in your head, you're going to be there for four years. Uh, and if somebody tells you, somebody tells you maybe we're going to change this don't fight it and just kind of go with it and see what happens uh, and he's a great example of he's starting he's playing a ton he could have a huge year and all because he just said i want to get on the field and i want to do whatever i can and they were able to make an adjustment and away he goes so a uh, great story there and uh, you know clid's a great guy so hopefully that's uh, that all works out for him well, on the offense, Nick, after seeing what you have seen this spring and then on the, the game Saturday, do you feel any different about this offense or anything surprise you? They were further along than I thought they'd be, I think, overall. Um, you know, Wilton did not have a good day, but again, I, I don't think – I think we've seen enough from Wilton in the past to not – to make me not panic about that or not throw up a, a giant red flag and say, oh, they've got a real problem here. You know, again, we'll see – they've still got four more practices. We'll see how they look at the end of – at the end of spring, we'll be able to see their final practice in Europe, I believe. So we watch that. We see how it goes. We see how they're looking. I think you'll see Golden State probably be okay in those situations. And it'll be a real competition. I think Peters isn't going away either. But I think overall as a team, um, yeah, the line just looks better than I thought it would. Uh, maybe that was a good day. I don't know. Maybe that was one of those two. It was a really good day. And it hasn't looked good any other day. Or maybe that was the first time it's turned around. So they looked better than I thought they would. Uh, the younger receivers looks capable, which was important. Uh, and everybody now just has to continue to grow. They still have to have the best summer of their, 
of their lives, basically in terms of conditioning uh, their own individual work. Uh, they have to come into camp ready to go uh, in, in August because you're counting on so many, so many young guys across the board that have to prove it. And we know they're capable of doing it. It's just a matter of you got to go prove it now. And if they can do all those things, then now you, now you have a competitive team. But if you're if you're looking at yourself in week five and still wondering about four positions, you know you're losing games. So that's that's what you have to avoid. And I think right now they're they're on the right track it seems, and they are improving. So they just looked much better than I thought they would. Again, I, I did not think they'd be able to score much. I mean, in this game, I didn't think that they'd be organized enough or whatever. But I think that that's a testament to the coaching staff and to all the guys for working hard because. You know, they look pretty solid considering how much they lost. My guest on our game day segment this week as we recap the spring game is Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from M Live. Nick, the D is always ahead of the offense at this time of the year, usually. And there yep. were some interesting performances on the defensive side, I thought. And let's start with Devin Bush Jr. He was just all over the place. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he is a guy who was as advertised with the feet, fast enough, smart enough to be a, a factor in the blitz game inside and, and he's able to get out and, and do some things coverage wise that some other guys that don't have that, that speed can do. Uh, and, and right now I think that he continues to rotate with Mike Robluski, uh in there. And I think Don Brown's still looking at the best way to kind of use both of those guys. I know he really likes Robluski, who's a little bigger uh, as the one thing against Bush still is he's still only about 230 pounds. So it depends on the team you face, right? I mean, if you're facing Wisconsin or Michigan state, who I think maybe two of the only teams left that will really go heavy on you and pound up the middle, maybe Devin Bush needs some help in there. But if you're playing a team that's going to spread you out, then I think, you know, Devin Bush looks like about the perfect fit uh, for a guy inside who can run with your run with your back, run with your tight end, and and do what he needs to do and be a factor in the blitz game. So, you know, they they were very happy with him this spring so far. I think he was one of those top five guys picked in the draft, which which should tell you, you know, that's not an official, you know, award list. But the top five guys in the draft that go usually were the best five players. And uh, that means that he was up there in that in that area, and he's been a guy that they've kind of heard and felt every day, and I think that'll probably continue. Well, another kid that was uh, impressive to me was young Mr. Glasgow. I mean, he and he doesn't look physically yeah. <laughs> like either of his brothers. I thought, where does he come from? Uh, but it looks like Don Brown's going to have to find some playing time for this kid. Yep. Nick. He's a player. Yeah, I, I don't know what they're doing in, in uh, <laughs> northern Illinois, wherever that <laughs> where the Glasgow's are from, I don't know what's going on there. And I don't know why no one has decided to give these guys scholarships before they came to college, but Michigan is benefiting again, it seems, as Jordan Glasgow. Yeah, I mean, that's the best what Mike, you said. I mean, he looks like a football player, whether it be, you know, helping out at that Viper spot or playing safety. Um, he's not going away. And Don Brown is not afraid to put him in there over one of these other guys that have a, have a scholarship. I think we all know that. So if, if anybody slips... Uh, you know, look out. I would say to the safeties, you know, watch yourself <laughs> you know, because this guy, this guy's coming hard and he's making plays. And I think that, yeah, you have to find a way to get him in the football game. I mean, he'll still continue to be a, a producer on special teams for you, but, but he's just around the ball way too much to, for it to be an accident. You know, it's not, it's not accidental. It's, you know, he's making that play on the ball in the end zone and returning a hundred yards for a touchdown. He, he made a couple of plays in that game uh, that were impressive. I mean, he can hit, he can move enough. And he's smart enough, of course, to he's a Glasgow, so they're all smart kids, smart enough to know how to play football. And I think that was the one thing with Graham and Ryan, uh, not to just compare him to his brothers, because that's not fair, but the one thing that Graham and Ryan had beyond physical ability, and they, all, they both turned into really physical impress, physically impressive football players, of course, they're going to play in the NFL. 
But Graham and Ryan were football smart to another level. They both understood the game uh, better than anybody else around them. I mean, you know, Graham, even when Graham wasn't physically able to play, you know, physically ready to do it as like a freshman or sophomore, all you would ever hear is, well, Graham knows everybody's job. He knows every reaction. He knows what you're supposed to do in every single situation. And when the physical part catches up, the mental part is still there. And it was the same for Ryan. And they always had that edge about them where they, they understood the game so well. And I think that that's the thing with Jordan, where that's the natural talent. It's not necessarily, I mean, he's a solid enough athlete, but the natural talent is, is he just knows football instinctively. And as he gets stronger and faster and whatever else, uh, it all carries over. And then now it becomes a thing where you look around and you say, well, geez, that looks like uh, a young Jordan Kovacs running around out there, right? A young walk-on who we, who we didn't know much about, and all of a sudden here he is making plays. So, yeah, I think he's an impressive guy. I think he's a, he's a player for him and, and another guy you can, you can add into the mix back there of a rotation and say you can count on him to make some plays for you. Well, the defensive line, uh, we got to look at Rashawn Gary, um, and we know we have uh, Chase Vinovich, Mo Hurst, uh, Brian Monet, Lawrence Marshall. But is depth, uh, in your opinion, still a concern on that front, Nick? Yeah, big time. I think it's it's that one might be more of a concern than I thought it would would be going in. And it's because when I look at it, and if I go back and I watch it again, I would still I would still think I'd come out of that thinking, okay, I know you got four with the front with the first four, and I know you've got Carlo Kemp. I think that that's you know that's for real. Uh, Donovan Jeter did a couple things, but again, still just a freshman. But beyond that, did not look good, and uh, that was where. You know, the offensive line cracking some of those holes. I thought, well, it was impressive enough if they make any holes. Some of those holes were gigantic. And that's where you look around and you say, well, geez, that's not good. And that's got to be on somebody on our side. So, you know, they're going to bring in Aubrey Solomon in the fall. They know he's going to be able to play. And I think letting him get behind Mohurst and learn the way that Rashawn Gary was able to learn last year behind Wormley and somewhat Charlton is a good thing for him. While at the same time, you're going to get contributions from him. He's going to be able to play. Uh, you're going to get James Hudson in here, and I know that they're very excited about him. And it really, it's the interior. That's really the thing where you need more bodies uh, across the board because Dwumfor was hurt. Uh, he's been hurt all spring. He was hurt a lot last year. He would presumably be a pretty good – I mean, I would assume he is not ready to just walk in there and have a job. I mean, he's going to have to prove it, get healthy, everything else. So the most help you need seems to be inside, and so you've – You've moved guys like Lawrence Marshall inside. You've moved, uh, there's one more, I'm, I'm blanking on him now, but they moved some guys inside. They're working Carl Myers, a walk-on in there. Trying to find anybody that can hold up, and I think right now it's still way too much in flux. I think you know what you have in Solomon. Uh, he's going to be good enough to play. Carlo Kemp's good enough to be a backup strong side end and maybe switch over and be a weak side guy. Maybe you've got Donovan Jeter making some more strides, and that's why he's here right now. As another end, and you know everybody loved Luigi Villain, uh, his tape in high school. So maybe he can come help. So you're going to have to rely on freshmen. Uh, bottom line, and you're going to have to hope no one gets hurt. That's the other part of it too. So um, keep working at it, keep plugging away. But that is one where you know I think your first wave is going to be good enough. But as you get on further in games and guys start to wear down, now now I have questions. Where you're, if you're, you're are you going to be able to rotate six? Forget eight. Right now, no, you can't rotate eight. The big question now for Madison is, can you leave spring and say with confidence that you can rotate six? If you can do that, I think that's a good stepping stone to move forward. And right now it looks like they're at five. If you can get one more in the next two weeks, 
that you're really confident. I think you've done your job, and then you move forward with hoping that everybody improves. Well, looking back at that secondary, young, talented, we're all watching uh, heading into the fall. How do you think those position battles are shaping up, Nick? Again, it looks like Levert Hill and, and David Law are still the corners. They're still the guys with the jobs right now. Ambry Thomas is certainly in the mix, certainly getting time. That's why he's here. Uh, Benjamin St. Just getting time. Again, that's why he's here. Uh, Keith Washington, I thought, looked a lot bigger and stronger. I think there's so much more competition at corner than people are willing to admit to themselves because they see that <laughs> they see Liverhill, Hill, who I think is Liverhill, Hill, if anybody's safe, it's probably him. But you see Liverhill Hill and David Long, who are two fabulous recruits, and you just assume that they're the guys. Well, yeah, I mean, that would make sense. But I don't think that's locked down. And I don't think that's necessarily a knock on them. I think they just there's competition there, and, and we'll have to see. Uh, going forward. But I think it's a good thing. I don't recall looking back and seeing too many instances of corners getting just completely. There was one pretty bad communicate, miscommunication early in that thing where Zach Gentry found a seam. I'm not sure who that was on. But overall, I didn't see any egregious you know, coverage situations where they were just totally lost. So, um, But I didn't see any dominating either. You know, Brandon Peters was able to throw some, for some chunks. John O'Corn with some guys up at the end of the game. So the secondary was the one big question mark right now is you just don't know. And, you know, you, and with that, with those guys, honestly, Mike, we probably won't know until they get in there against the real team and we see how they go uh, against a, uh, you know, an opposing offense. So that could be a problem. I mean, that could be a problem in so much that it's not going to be a, a huge problem, but one where maybe you don't have the benefit of going through an entire season without giving up any big plays. You know, it was the last two years. There were just very few and far between. When it happened, everybody was like, whoa, what was that? I think you might see more of those now uh, and, and chunk plays anyway and, and say, well, you just got to live with that as these guys are young and they're learning and they're trying to get better. Well, we tend to overlook special teams uh, most of the time until, uh, you know, there's a missed extra point, a missed field goal. Kenny Allen's gone. We know that. So changes are coming. Quinn yep. Nordine and on BTN, I find this interesting, Nick. They kept saying Nordine, pronouncing his last name. And the public address announcer at the game is saying Quinn Norden. How do you pronounce that kid's name? Oh, I thought it was Nordine myself. So maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe, they've got, maybe they got it right in the stadium. I'll have to, I'll have to ask that. I think yeah. he's going to be the kicker. So we got to figure that out. I think he had a 48-yarder, did he not? Yes, like he that did. In the game, so yes, he did. Nice boot from him. So, yeah, we'll have to figure that one out. So And he hit the netting. Like they said, it could have been good from 58. Yep. So that was a boot. We all know he has a, a leg. What about the punting game, though? Um, any leader been established there? Uh, yeah, that's the one where I I think there's a reason why they gave Brad Robbins a scholarship at the end of the cycle um, where he was the top-ranked punter still on the board or whatever it was in February. So I think... You know, we'll have to see what he can do. I think Will Hart uh, is a guy who they like. Um, I think Sachel has done some punting, too. I did not see a whole lot of great punting. There was some wind and everything else, but you you could tell Kenny Allen was not in the building, let's put it that way, in terms, yeah. of, in terms of the punting and even the, even the distance on some of the kickoffs. Uh, and just these hidden luxuries you had on special teams that I think people overlooked. Kenny Allen was just other than like the two or three game stretch where he missed a few field goals. I mean, just a fabulous three-way kicker that you just don't see those guys do that much often. I mean, just a terrific punter. His kickoffs were outstanding. And at the, by the end of the year, his, he was automatic uh, in the field goal game. And then the other thing that I look at, and you saw it on Saturdays, I can't remember in two years that Jabril Peppers was fielding punts. Forget about all the big plays and the touchdown and the big chunks. Do you ever, Mike, remember him even bobbling 
a ball. No. I can't remember him even bobbling a ball. So now you see where the biggest thing that they have now is they got to find a guy who can just catch it. And Nate Johnson got the most reps out there, and he fumbled one. So the return game, I think the kicker will be fine. I think in the combination of Will Hart, Robbins, somebody else, you'll find a punter who can hold water and be fine. The returners, especially the punt returner, that's the one where you really got to find somebody who can be comfortable there and let them rep the heck out of it because you got to find someone that can, first of all, just catch the ball. That's all your, you know, forget the big play right now, just catch it and make sure the possession maintains. And uh, it seems like maybe that was just a bad day for Nate Johnson because I assume he's, he's been doing some nice things in spring uh, and we'll see some other guys in there as well. But uh, that's the big focus I got, I got to assume is catch the football and make sure you hang on to it and, and everything else will go from there. Well, now the team heads for Rome to wrap up spring uh, practice and you get to go. So you're going to be uh, enjoying that trip for a lot of reasons. Uh, I believe it's four practices, right, Nick? Three. Yep. Final three days. Well, they got one on Tuesday in Ann Arbor. And then uh, final three will be next week uh, in Rome. Great publicity. I, I can't wait to see what this generates for Michigan football. It should be really fascinating. Well, again, it's one of those things where I thought it was smart for two reasons. And, and one, uh, it's a part of the package that you can now sell. That this is your plan, that you'll, you plan on having this in your budget on some level, or it's, whether it's donation or otherwise, um, that you're going to set aside money to pay for this so your kids can go do this. And that's attractive to recruits. Maybe it's not attractive to everybody. I mean, you know, let's be fair. There might be some recruits that say, I don't want to go to Europe. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that, that could be a thing. But I think by and large, you'll find most kids that tell you that sounds pretty cool. As most kids we've talked to this week have said, you know, I've never been out of the country, didn't ever anticipate going to Europe, and now I'm going to get to go. So, so that's a thing. And then, two, that's the, that's the biggest part of it, where it's, it's a really good thing for the players. It's a really good thing for them whether they realize it or not, probably, right now. Because there probably are a few guys in there that say, I'd rather stay home. I don't want to fly on a plane for eight hours or whatever it is. But once they get over there and they get to see everything and it's different, it's, you know, it's, it's forced culture, right? It's, you're, mm-hmm. you're being forced to go expand your mind and do other things. And I think all of them will come back uh, being, being glad they did it. And I think that that's a great thing. And that's why it's a great idea, really, by Jim Harbaugh. And that it's, it's allowing all these guys... You know, we talked to some of these guys from Florida, and they said, you know, I'd never been out of Florida before I came up here, let alone ever thinking about going across across the pond there to see something else. And now they get to go do it, and now they get to go experience that. And that's very important. I mean, if for anyone who has been able to do that in their lives, they know, you know how important those trips can be. Uh, just from your own personal, you know, whether it be a memory or your own view on things or how things look, and uh, for them to all have that opportunity, uh, that's really cool. And I know that They'll all have a great time, whether you know, whether they realize it right now or not. I think they'll all really enjoy it and be glad they did it. And it'll, it'll help the team bond, of course, and, and grow and, and become closer and all those things. So, uh, you know, I don't know. To probably steal a line from Harbaugh, I don't see any negatives in this one. I don't know how I don't know how it uh, how it can be looked at as anything but a win 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 all the way around. And I think it's it's a great thing for them. No, I think it's a great idea, and we're going to look forward to your coverage, of course, of those uh, three practices in that week in Rome, so all good. Our guest in this week's uh, game day segment has been beat writer Nick Baumgartner from MLive, and as always, Nick, my listeners enjoy hearing from you, and the next time we talk, it will, uh, it'll mean the season is at hand, so enjoy Rome, enjoy the summer, and we look forward to your next visit. All right, Mike, sounds good. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew.
On Quick Hits today, the number 18-ranked University of Michigan softball team scored two runs in the top of the seventh inning to rally past Maryland 4-3 and claim the weekend road series on Sunday afternoon at the Terrapins' Maryland Softball Stadium. Unable to complete the seventh-inning rally in Saturday's loss, the Wolverines pulled it off in the series finale, scoring on a bases-loaded single and subsequent sacrifice fly to take a narrow one-run lead before senior pitcher Megan Betza closed it out, stranding two Terp batters with a game-ending strikeout. Betza, who is now 17-6, and six, struck out 12 Terrapins, her third straight game with double-digit strikeouts, and allowed three runs on four hits and five walks. The Wolverines will play the second half of their two-game series against in-state rival Michigan State today, Tuesday. This weekend, they'll head to Madison for a three-game series with the Badgers. Michigan is 31-9-1 and overall, 11-2 in the Big Ten, heading into this weekend's action. With the game tied 1-1 through five complete innings, the number 13 Michigan baseball team rallied for five runs in the bottom of the sixth inning to defeat Oklahoma by a 6-2 score, and execute the weekend sweep on Saturday at the Wilpon Complex, home of Ray Fisher Stadium. The sweep is Michigan's third of the season. The victory also marks Michigan's fourth straight. They will host Michigan State today on Tuesday, and then Indiana rolls into town for a weekend series. The Wolverines are 29-7 and overall, 6-3 and in Big Ten play. Jim Harbaugh and his team will have one more practice here in Ann Arbor this week, and then it's off to Rome on Saturday for the much-awaited trip. They will have three practices over there, and that will conclude spring ball. Nick Baumgartner will be making the trip, uh, as you heard him mention on the show earlier, so check out his coverage next week on M Live. And again, thanks to Nick Baumgartner for taking time to join us on this week's show. Follow us on Twitter at The Michigan Man and on Facebook also at The Michigan Man. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to comment or review the show. Our free show app is available from the iTunes and Google Play stores, and you can also hear us each week on iHeartRadio. Just do a search for The Michigan Man and save us in your favorites. That will do it for another week. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. We'll see you next time. Until then, take care, and as always, Go Blue! Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!